Welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Bible Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Pastor Levi Secord, and I'd like to thank you for listening. Christ Bible Church exists to bring all of Christ into all of life, and in doing so, we glorify God. This podcast series is not meant to be a replacement for the local church. It is not meant to replace your regular gathering with Christ's people across Christ's earth. And so we encourage you to use these sermons to bring glory to God, to bring all of Christ into all of life, and to strengthen and encourage one another in his name. With all of that in mind, let us turn our hearts and our minds now to the preaching of God's word, and in it may we see and glorify and emulate our Savior. I was listening to a, uh, an audio book a few months ago when I was planning out uh, this series, and I had... I had the series pretty much wrapped up and I didn't have a message on friendship. And in this audio book, it kept citing all of these passages again and again from the book of Proverbs on friendship. And I was like, okay, God, I get the message. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add a sermon here on friendship and wisdom for friends. Because we all want to have a good friend or two in our lives. It makes life more enjoyable. It makes life better to live. But what does that even mean? What does it mean to be a good friend, or to have a good friend. It's true, we see at the very beginning of Scripture that it is not good that man should be alone. Man is made in the image of God, and in the image of God, men and women are social beings. This means that we are designed to be in relationships. You're designed primarily to be in a relationship with God, but also with one another. And it's this reality that informs and drives our desire to be loved and to love others. And love takes a lot of different forms. I don't just mean uh, the romantic stuff or what my boys call the mushy, icky stuff. Right? God is holy, sufficient in himself. God lacks no good thing in himself. And this means contrary to what some people have said, God did not create man because he was lonely. God did not create man because he needed something to love. God had everything he needs within himself. God, who exists as three persons in one God, had objects to love. The Father loves the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they love him and each other in return. God, in himself, as the three in one, has everything he needs. He was not lonely. He didn't need something else to love, but rather out of the abundance of who he was and is, he made us. We worship not a singularity, but the triune God of the universe. And it is in his image, the image of the three in one, the perfect union, community, and perfect eternal love that God made us. And this is why it is not good for you to be alone. This is why it is not good for me to be alone. Even if you fancy yourself an introvert, it is not good for you to be alone. You need other people. You need family. You need coworkers. You need neighbors, friends. Because we are communal beings in the image of our Maker. This is one of the reasons why the, uh, the lockdowns of 2020 were so horrendously damaging on us. Because you're not meant to live alone in a room by yourself, fearing the world's going to end all by yourself, while reading what others have called fear porn online 
to stoke that fear even more. You're not meant to live that way. The worst punishment someone can receive in prison is to be locked in solitary confinement all by himself. And so friendship is something that is hardwired into the universe. It's something we all long for. And yet we live in a time that can be described as a time of loneliness. We literally have, some of us, thousands of online friends, but precious few real friends that we interact with on a day-to-day basis. We are connected all the time to those who are miles and miles away, but we are disconnected from those right next to us. And so we have the contagion of an increasing depression, anxiety, and record deaths of despair. People who cannot cope with their own loneliness. It is not good that man should be alone. We all feel that need for friendship. So I return to the question, what makes a good friend? What does that even mean? Into all of this runs our our current petty narcissism that runs around today, that a good friend would be somebody who would help you just believe in yourself a little bit more, a person who will just affirm you in every decision that you make. Is that really what it means to be in a good, deep friendship with someone? On the other side of this, I I do want to caution this as as a parent of young children. There are those out there who think you need to be friends with everyone. There are those out there who think that if you don't have a best friend, we could go with the, uh, see I had three sisters growing up, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to label this as a movie that they wa- made me watch all the time. You could go with the, uh, the Anne of Green Gables phenomenon that you have to have a bosom buddy, a best friend, or your life's just not worth living. Well, that's not really true either. The Psalms open with this warning in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Literally, the book of praise given to the people of God it opens with a warning about who you are friends with. Don't be friends with sinners. Don't be friends with the wicked. Don't go with the scoffers. Let me rephrase that. This means, quite clearly, you should not be friends with everyone. You can be friendly to everyone, but you should not be friends with everyone. For your friendships have eternal consequences. As I look back in my life growing up in the church and then in ministry, I can tell you that Psalm 1 has been proven true again and again. Many a life has been ruined because you people became friends with the wrong people and just kept going with them. So few things are more important in life than who you listen to, who you surround yourself with, and so we need to heed this warning today. Desiring friends is a good thing, but you must not be friends with everyone. Desiring friends is a good thing, but you must not be friends with everyone. And so that brings us back to the question of the day. What should you look for in a good friend? And perhaps more importantly, what should you be? To be a good friend. It's a reoccurring theme throughout the book of Proverbs. Isolation is not good for you. The more you give into sin, the more you're going to want to isolate yourself or to surround yourself with wicked or bad friends. Proverbs 18.1 again, which Phil just read for us. Whoever isolates himself 
seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Again, I've seen this verse play itself out again and again. Somebody starts down a path that they know is wrong. What do they start doing? They start to isolate themselves from their godly friends, from their church, and they won't listen to any sound judgment again. And in fact, what you'll generally hear them say is, well, all those Christians in that church is just so judgmental. I'm like, well, half the, almost the entire church had no idea what was going on in your life. You just felt judged because you knew what you were doing was wrong. So you sought isolation because that would affirm you in your judgment or in your actions. So today I'm going to start with these four things, or we're going to look at these four characteristics of what it means to be a good friend from the book of Proverbs. And again, I want you to listen to this and two sides. What you should be looking for in friends and how you should operate as a friend. Both sides of the equation. And the first is this. One of the defining marks of friendship is loyalty. A friend is someone who has your back and who stands by your side through thick and thin. The good times and the bad. This reality is captured well in, Saul, or in Proverbs 17, 17 and 18, 24. Listen to these side by side. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. To be a good friend is to love the other person, and to love the other person means to seek and to desire that which is good for that person. I want to stress that very, very carefully here. Love is not primarily warm, mushy feelings. Love is not primarily unquestioning affirmation, especially when one is straying from the truth. Love is not just the right thing to do, it is doing the right thing. Love is inseparable from the moral code and standards that God has set out. So to love someone is to seek that which is good for them and to desire what is good for them whenever and wherever possible. Again, consider Psalm 1. Don't surround yourself with those who will affirm you in your wickedness. This is a false love, a fake love. This is not true friendship. This is also what is warned about elsewhere in Proverbs. In the opening of the book, chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, we read these words. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We have, to, we have to grapple with this really carefully here. Sinners can appear like good friends. They can entice us to sin. And it can feel like, as they affirm you in your actions, that they actually love you more than those who have moral standards. This is perversion. This is not actual friendship. 
Friends, conversely to this, are loyal, and they are so loyal that they become like a brother or like a family member. I think we've all seen or known friendships like this, where the two friends who are not actually blood-related become like they are brothers or sisters. When this happens, it is a true blessing to both parties. This comes often by being with someone through the ups and downs of life, through the good times and the bad. Trials reveal to us who we are. They reveal to us who other people are, what it means to be a friend. Put it plainly, if someone abandons you when things get tough, not only are they not your friend, but they're unfaithful. They're untrustworthy. There's a reason why in our marriage vows, we include a promise before God and everyone there to stay true in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. Faithfulness, loyalty, friendship, companionship, they go together. We hear this language often among those who serve together in combat or the police force. There's a strong bond formed when you go through trials together that we say that military service or serving in the police force is like a brotherhood. That this man has become my brother. We have served side by side. We have bled together. And so we should hear echoes of the book of Proverbs. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Some of my best friendships actually all of my best friendships, were forged in the furnace of trial and adversity. The Lord did not bless me with any brothers, but he blessed me with many men who have become my brothers in the midst of turmoil and public pressure. Then you can see who's actually standing beside you. And so the type of friend you want to be, the type of friend you want to look for, is one who is loyal to you through thick and thin. The second mark of a good friend is the ability to both give and to receive criticism. We covered this some last week. Fools reject correction. Fools take correction as a personal attack. But the wise man or the wise woman of God is willing to accept counsel and accept correction. This is not easy. It doesn't come naturally. But it's very important to friendship. I think this is one of the most striking passages in all of Proverbs. Proverbs 27, verses 5 through 6. It says this, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. How many of us really live that way? I remember the first time I stumbled across this verse and I always am coming back to it. Like, how many treat the wounds of a friend as a faithful thing and the kisses of an enemy as a profuse thing? That we treat open rebuke as better than hidden love. The implication here is that open rebuke is a form of love honestly not always sometimes people just want to chop you down for their own sake 
But we live in an age where we treat rebuke or correction as unloving. We are told that if you don't surround yourself with people who will affirm everything about you, that they are toxic and dangerous and you need to build walls and to separate yourself from them. And here in the book of Proverbs, we read the exact opposite. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So the question is, do you have friends who will give you faithful wounds? Would you even listen if they tried? This is not an uh, academic question. We have been trained and encouraged to surround ourselves with the kisses of people who are actually our enemy. They are profuse. They are vile and wicked. But at least we feel safe in this handbasket as we go to hell. The imagery here really is striking. We would often prefer the kisses of our enemies than the hard words of those who love us. So you need men and women in your life who can lovingly call you on your stuff. Who with the right heart attitude and who love you enough that they are willing to cause short-term wounds for your benefit. This is the sign of people who actually care about you. People who know you're going the wrong way and out of some fake idea of peace and affirmation won't tell you they don't actually love you. And we need to hear that. We need to train our hearts to have antennas up for those who only ever agree with us. If you're surrounded by people who only ever tell you that you walk on water, you need to find some new friends. Because you're not God, you're not always right, and you, just like everybody else, put your pants on one leg at a time. So this means that not only do you need to be willing to give this correction, but you need to be willing to receive that type of correction. I was thinking back on this a lot this week. There was this time uh, about 13 or 14 years ago. There was a situation going on in my life, and, and I was very anger, angry about it. And I, still to this day, I think the anger in some part was, was righteous. What was going on was very evil and wicked. But it's at this time, times like that in your life, you need to be careful because you can feel at that point justified in doing just about anything you want. And at this point, I, I wrote a very scathing response to someone who disagreed with me online. And several of my friends came to me and said, Levi, you stepped over the line. Everything in me, at that moment in me did not want to agree with them. Everything in me at that moment had every justification and excuse for what I did and why I did it. I didn't want to receive the wounds of my friend. I had every reason, I thought, to do what I did. But eventually, by the grace of God, I heeded their words. I apologized to the person. And those men who came to me 13, 14 years ago are still my closest friends. They were faithful, though the correction hurt in the moment, and I'm sure coming to someone like me took a little bit of courage. They were good men. And this is a lesson we all have to learn. Friends are willing to both give correction and to receive correction. 
And this correction must be based on the standards of God. The standards of His Word. Not cultural lies, not cultural distortions, or affirmation, or empathy and inclusion, all of those buzzwords today, but on God's Word alone. Is this not what Christ has done for you? Jesus came to die for us. But He first came to confront our sins. The first recorded words of Christ's ministry are this, Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus gave the people of Israel and us through recorded scripture wound after wound after wound, exposing us to our sin, calling us out and showing us our need for a Savior. Love in a world filled with sin and evil stands opposed to sin and confronts it where it may. And so if you want to have good friends, if you want to be a good friend, we need to learn to accept the faithful wounds from our friends and to be sure we ha- you have friends who know how to give you those wounds when it is called for. Do not surround yourself by those who will only give you profuse kisses and affirm your destruction. Our next mark of a true friend, I'm going to cheat a little bit here, I'm going to include two in it, Grace and confidence. Grace and confidence. Both of these have to, deal, have to do with dealing with the fallout of sin in a relationship. How do you deal with sin when it becomes between you and your friend? What are we to do? Besides the ability to give and receive correction, we must practice both grace and confidence with those closest to us. Consider First Proverbs 16.28. A a dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. This proverb is framed in the sense of a close friendship, and the contrast that is given here is a dishonest man who spreads gossip, who whispers about the other person, and this brings separation between close friends. What it means, I think quite clearly here, is that friends keep certain things between themselves. They keep confidence. We do not air each other's dirty laundry for everyone to see. Now yes, in a fallen world, there are times where certain things happen that you need to get outside help and outside counsel. But the virtue that is given here is rather clear. In general, when your friend tells you something, you don't go tweet about it. You keep that confidence. Few things can destroy a friendship, a working relationship, or even a marriage more than loose lips. Those who are eager to spread a bad word about someone else or to share something that was given in confidence are not seeking your good. They are seeking destruction and separation. A good friend will never give nor listen to gossip about one of their friends. They will not seek to bring that division. Again, I'll give you an example from earlier in my life. When I was in college, a group of friends and I, we were in this very public conflict. Some of you know more about that. There was a lot to the story, but let's just say there was a public confrontation, and shocker, Levi was at the forefront of it. At one point, the other side took one of my friends who was, who was helping me in this conflict. They brought him into a meeting, 
And it became very clear to him what they were trying to do. They brought him into the meeting and they started to stroke his ego and they told him how smart he was, how kind he was, and how reasonable he was, unlike that Levi guy. The plan was clear. Like, we're going to divide and conquer. We're going to sow discord between these two men. Kisses from an enemy. Hey, let's, let's talk. Funny thing was, it didn't work. He came back. We were sitting in the office together and he told me the story and we just started laughing about it. A true friend. Confidence. Not spreading bad words about one another. The second aspect here is grace. Friends forbear and forgive sins committed against them. Proverbs 17.9 Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Here's another proverb in the context of friendship. What separates close friends? Repeating an offense. There are many ways you can repeat an offense. You can repeat it like we just talked about by sharing it with everyone else. You can repeat it by playing it over in your head again and again and again so that you grow in anger and frustration towards the person. And into all of this, 1 Corinthians 13 speaks rather clearly. Love keeps no record of wrongs. True friends cover the sins of their friends, their family, their spouses, their children. This is Christianity 101. Forgiven people forgive when confession comes. Those who refuse to forgive where confession is present have no right to claim the confidence that they are forgiven. This is the teaching of Christ in the gospel. This is indispensable to any and all relationships. Every one of us is a sinner. And so this means it's not if you will sin, but when. What are you to do at that point? When you are sinned against or when you sin against someone else? If you demand in your life and in your friendships perfection or nothing, you will get nothing every single time. You are not perfect and you do not live among a perfect people. And as a sinner, you need grace and so do those you live with. And so this offering of grace covering the offenses of one another is meant to balance out the one I just told you from Proverbs 27. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But if you're the friend who only ever finds fault in your friend, you're also not a very good friend. You need to be able to show grace to one another. A grace motivated by love. Learning the balance between those two requires wisdom. To be a good friend, keep your friend's confidence and show them grace. The last characteristic of a true friend is that of wisdom. Consider chapter 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. This is Proverbs doing in one verse what Psalm 1 does for the first half of that psalm. Don't be friends with fools, because you will become like your friends. We are told here of the reaping and sowing principle in friendship. If you surround yourself with godly, wise men and women, and you're paying attention, you will become more like them. If you surround yourself with silly fools, you will become more like them. 
And so wisdom begins, as we're told again and again, with the fear of the Lord. Your wise men and women you should surround yourself with are those who fear the Lord first and foremost. Those who know the Bible well. Those who live the Bible out. I am not talking about the light version of Christianity that often passes for the faith in our day and age. I'm not talking about a halfway house between pop psychology and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about surrounding yourself with real men and women of faith who walk by faith and not by sight, who do the hard, costly thing. The measure of faith is, I will do this even when it doesn't make any sense to me. The Bible says I should do this, but I really don't want to do it. Those who walk by faith do it anyways. We trust and we obey. Do not surround yourself with a bunch of half-breeds who have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. That will only bring you greater harm. A good friend is wise and brings that blessing of wisdom into your friendship. Surround yourself with men and women like that, and your life will go so much better. Your closest friends, in other words, should be Christians. Real Christians. And you can build your friendship upon that common ground. And so we all want to have good friends, we all want to be good friends, and we have these characteristics given to us in Proverbs. Friends are loyal. Friends give and receive correction. Friends give or keep confidence and give each other grace. And friends will shape us for good or for ill. And that brings us back to the heart of friendship. If we could summarize this in in one phrase, it is this. Friendship is seeking the good of someone else despite the personal cost. Friendship is seeking the good of someone else despite the personal cost. And here you should hear intentional echoes of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm glad Phil had us read uh, John 15 at the beginning of the service, but here it is again. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. These are the words of your Savior. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is the model Christ has given you. And then he goes on to say, These things I command you so that you will love one another. I've told you this probably a million times in our two and a half years together, but I'm going to say it to you at least one more time. Your life's not about you. Never has been, never will be. Not only is thinking that your life is all about living for yourself selfish and sinful, the life spent wholly on yourself is small, boring, and unsatisfying. Live for something bigger than you. Spend your life in service to the kingdom, and that means in service to other people. The gospel is a call to come and die, and once you come and die, then you find out now you're actually really living. In our self-obsessed age, where we are told to make everything about me, including our friendships, we have become small, petty, depressed, and narcissistic people. It's not going so well. And this is because life was never meant to be about you. And so here, we are instructed to see Christ, see his love for his friends, that he went to a cross and died for them, 
that he is loyal to us and faithful even unto death, that he spoke words of rebuke even to his disciples. Peter says, I think you're the Messiah. Jesus is like, you're right. And then he tells him, don't go to the cross. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Quite a turn of events. See the grace he gives us by his shed blood and how through justification he brings our sins to an end and he covers them and they are forgotten. See how being with him, who is the embodiment of wisdom, can make you wise unto eternal life. But this must come first. Die to yourself. Lay down your life. Follow Christ. Lay down your life for your family, for your friends, for your church. And this does not always mean physically dying. It means putting the needs of others above your comfort and your desires. The call of the gospel is to come and die, and in that we truly live. And so we fix our eyes upon Christ. And in this, we have the call of the church. This is what it means to live as a Christian. Throughout all of life, you say, Levi's not the center. It's not about me. It's primarily about God and then serving others. Love God, love others. It Really, you don't have to go to seminary to figure this out. The call of the gospel is to put others first and to live out the model of Christ as we believe in Him. This is the charge to the church. This is my charge to you. This is what gets me up in the morning to be a pastor, to be a husband, to be a father, to be a citizen, is that my life isn't about me. And you know what? That's good news. Because I'm not that important. But Christ is. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have spoken to us in your word. We thank you that in it, we see the call to live for something greater than ourselves. Lord, I ask that you would be with the people of Christ Bible Church, that as we live out friendships, as we live out community and love and doing all of the commands of Scripture, that we might be motivated by a humble reliance to die to ourselves and to find our life hidden in Christ on high. Lord, we ask that we would be that type of church. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Christ Bible Church. Remember, this world is dripping with meaning because Christ created it, He sustains it, and He is reconciling it all to Himself. Now go and live out that glorious truth.